Hello and welcome to the Planet Earth podcast. I'm Sue Nelson and I'm starting the new year in a wood in order to catch some birds. You'll find out which birds and why in a moment and some of the top conservation issues for the next 12 months. We want to identify changes that are likely to happen and encourage the research community to think about those so that when decisions are being made there's actually a good body of information. It's 10 o'clock in the morning and I'm in wellies and a warm coat at Whiteham Woods in Oxfordshire to look at birds. And that's because last year it was reported that a virus killing great tits in the UK spread here by insects. Avian pox isn't new and it affects other birds too, but it has been spreading rapidly around the country, which is why scientists are monitoring birds to study this disease. And I'm joined by three of those scientists, all from the Edward Gray Institute of Field Ornithology at the University of Oxford. They are Dr Shelley Lachish, research assistant Ross Crates, and PhD student Lucy Applin. I know you've set up a trap round the corner, uh, a bird net in order to catch the birds. Could you just explain, Ross, what we've got here? Okay, the setup is basically a small table for us to put our equipment on, a pole to hang the birds when we catch them. We keep them in small bags until we're ready to process them. And I'm just about to put some ringing pliers, some scales. You've got a toolbox here? Yes. We've got here some pliers designed specially to um, fit the small metal rings onto the legs of the birds. Small metal wing rule we use to measure the length of the wing. Some rings. Some calipers, which we use to measure tarsus length and bill length. And some pit tags, which are passive integrated transponders, which we attach to the other leg of the bird. It's almost like setting up an operating table, isn't it? It is, it is. It's a very well-oiled procedure. I've done it plenty of times now, so... <laughs> Now you've set up some nets just a short walk from here. What sort of birds, Lucy, are you expecting us to get? Well, this area of the woods has a lot of great tits and blue tits. I'm hoping we'll catch a few nuthatches too, and maybe we'll be even lucky and see a sparrowhawk. But what we're really aiming for today is the great tits, which Shelley studies here. Shelley, great tits. Is this unusual that they're now getting avian pox? It is actually. So avian pox is a really well-known disease of birds, but it's been curiously absent from any member of the tit family and um, great tits. We've never seen it before in England in great tits. And then in 2006, we saw avian pox in a, in a bird, and it was a particularly nasty case of the disease. And since that time, we've noticed that it's been spreading through the country. And how can you tell that a bird has avian pox? It's actually a very distinctive disease. The birds develop large sort of tumour-like lesions. They develop them on, on the head, particularly around the beak and the eye um, area, but also on their legs and on their wings. And basically when we catch the birds and we have them in the hand, if they have a lesion, it's very hard for us to miss it because they are very distinctive and large. Right, I think it's probably about time that we head off and, and see what we've got. Walking down the uh, extremely muddy path, but thankfully it's, it's not raining this morning I can see a, what looks like a, a wire cage up ahead, is that the trap? That's not the trap, that, this is the feeder we use to attract the birds in, as part of our study we have to try and prevent squirrels from attacking the equipment, <laughs> so the wire cage is to allow the birds through but uh, the squirrels keep them out <laughs> We've actually got the, the mist net set behind the feeder as we're walking down to it from here we can't see it but we can certainly see that we've caught a few birds in it. Looks like there's about seven or eight at the moment. Uh, it looks like we've got a nuthatch as well, just behind the cage there. Ah, so they're caught in a 
in a net. I'm assuming they're not hurt at all. No, no. The whole purpose of the uh, the missing netting is that we can catch them in a way that doesn't harm them at all. So it doesn't look like you've got any great tits, though. Oh, we do have. Oh no. Uh, where? Do. Sorry. Ross has one in his hand. Ah, right. So you've got several great tits. Lots of blue tits. Lots so of blue most tits. Of these I recognise them. Looking at here are blue tits. And there's a nut hatch there. Two nut hatches and, and a coal tit. Oh, it's great to see a nut hatch close up, aren't they? Gorgeous. So this is a, a good example of a retrap here. So you can see it's metal ring on one leg and it's um, passive integrated transponder on the other leg. Just a little oh, plastic yes, ring it's here. It's got little tiny rings on each leg yeah so what we do is we have um, antenna on our feeders and on the nest boxes and when the birds come to feed or come to the nest boxes we can record them without having to be there at all and it minimizes the contact and the stress for the birds so you've been very carefully extracting oh know, gosh that's so looks, beautiful it looks like they're really caught but they uh once you remove their legs and, and get their claws out of the net they really do sort of slip out quite easily and they're completely unharmed by the process i'm amazed that you're just clutching a little blue tit in your left hand there <laughs> so easily that for wild birds they seem remarkably passive at being held oh well wait later until we start processing them because the blue tits actually have quite a little bit of personality to them and uh and they do tend to they like to bite all right now you've just we've got two little white bags now with the birds in and you're putting all the birds in little little bags yeah so here's another one that's already um we've already caught this one previously so he has a little black uh, pit tag on his uh right leg and a um, metal silver band on his other leg so we can look up the number on that ring and we can find out all the history about this bird where he was caught last time um, and uh, how much he's grown how much you know uh, and and whether he was breeding the last time he or she <laughs> was caught and we tally that information up and that uh, feeds into our records Now, is this the blue, blue tit attitude you were talking about? This is definitely the blue tit attitude. They do like to tell you that they're not happy with their predicament, um, but they don't seem to know that you're trying to help them get out of their predicament. So, there we go. Ah, He's free better. now. He's still pecking me. <laughs> you see, Ross has just extracted a great tit, where you can tell by its black head and white stripes underneath by its neck. <laughs> you can go with that, but it's a cult in <laughs> Yes, this is why I'm not an ornithologist, isn't it? Maybe I've been looking at cold tits and on my garden feeder all this time, thinking that they were great tits. Uh, you would probably get all of, all of these varieties at your garden feeder, yeah. actually. So, uh, and avian pox is actually um, we we have noticed in, in all of these species except for the nuthatches, but it's by far more prevalent in great tits than any of the, any of the other birds, and uh, we're not actually sure why that is, and that's one of the things that we would like to find out. Right, well, I will let you continue extracting the birds and bagging them before we head back to the table. OK, we're back now at the table, Shelley. What's the procedure? All right, so now we, we have our, our birds in their little bags hanging here waiting their turn to be processed. And so one by one we'll go through. Uh, we extract them from the bags, like I have done with this little blue tit. And I have it in my hands now. And now begins the process of ringing and, uh, and pit tagging and measuring. And so the first thing we always do is put on a ring because that's the identifier for the bird. What You've just affixed that. I have. Very I just... deftly. <laughs> so will you check 
in future now to see whether when you catch a bird that has been previously tagged and ringed, whether it has the virus or not. It doesn't look as though at first glance all those birds that we, we trapped looked quite healthy to me. Here. So at this time of year we do expect avian pox prevalence to be very low because it is a vectored disease, it's mosquito vectored and, and winter is not a very good time for mosquitoes to be around as most people will know. And, and how uh, quickly from when a bird gets this virus do they all die or do some survive? We've had 105 cases of, of uh, avian pox in, in great tits at least in this wood and some extras in some blue tits and, and other species and we've seen 14 of those have been recaptured again and they've been um, asymptomatic so they haven't had lesions whereas they did previously and so we do know that recovery is possible but our analyses are also telling us that this disease definitely kills the birds. It, it reduces the survival rate of individuals and what have you discovered so far in terms of how far this virus is, is spreading while you quickly measure its wing, the blue tits wing there? The disease arrived in England, in the southeast of England, around the Sussex, East Sussex area, and that was in 2006. And since that time, we've seen it spread westwards right into Wales and as far north now as around the Mersey River, around Manchester region. So it has really spread quite a, a fair distance in just a number of years. I'll just process this little guy yeah, because I'll it, let, no, 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 let that's you... fine. Just because I don't want to hang on to him for too long. Sixty-three wing, and it's a four, Lucy, which means it's ah, sorry, it's a six now. It's an adult. Now you're weighing so him the, yeah, up we, the <laughs> it, So it's ten point eight grams. So this um, method of weighing birds is it's a little unusual, but it works quite well. So so it was it was putting him look like an old. <laughs> camera film canister is, head first turning him upside down it is they slot right in um it, it's dark and like i said their wings are confined so they feel quite safe in there and they don't move and it enables us to get a very quick reading of their body weight um in a, in a way that's very easy and, and, and you aim to process them as quickly as possible so that you're, you're going to be letting oh there goes one and there goes <laughs> that was one to my right and my head and one to the left of my head oh that's really funny yeah. and then you go on to the next uh the next bag. The next bag, yeah, and it's it's a uh, yeah assembly line <laughs> that we have done quite well, and like we've got the system down now. So, yeah. oh, and there goes another one released. Yes. At around the same time that the avian pox was discovered in great tits for the for the first time, there was also a parasite that affected green finches that has really affected the the population. Is this something of a trend now? Because there have always been year-on-year organisations are warning us that garden birds are in decline. Trichomoniasis in, in green finches that you're talking about, and that did actually lead to quite substantial population um, crashes in that in the green finch population. But also, one of the reasons that we are seeing perhaps more diseases in garden birds is that we are being much more efficient about monitoring, and we do know that there are these concerns out there to look for. And so, schemes like the Garden Bird Health Watch Initiative use the public data and and get data from the public about what kind of um, uh, nuances in their birds diseases and strange sightings they see in their birds and you're using some of this sort of citizen science for the for examining this avian pox as well aren't you yeah that's right reports from the public about uh sightings of lesions in in great tits particularly and in other birds as well is, is basically the data that we've been using to track and monitor the spread of the disease throughout england and uh, the uk 
So at the moment then, we know it's going northward. It's reached as far as, as the northwest as Manchester. One suspects then as it gets warmer towards this summer, as the mosquitoes come out and insects are more prevalent, that you'll get more sightings. You might discover it going further north. Is there anything that can be done at the moment other than monitoring it and studying it? Well, no, that is, I mean, that's our key focus at the moment is to, to, to track its spread, to know exactly what we're dealing with in the sense of whether we are dealing with something that will eventually be population-wide amongst the great tits. But we are also continuing to look at genetic studies to try and isolate, uh, further understand where the disease originated from and how it's mutated in, in and suddenly appeared in this great tit population. And so those studies are also going to really inform our understanding of the type of avian population that we're now seeing in this great tip population. Dr Shelley Luckish, Ross Crates and Lucy Applin, thank you all very much indeed. I'll let you carry on working with, with your birds and um, got some fantastic photographs which we will put up on our Facebook page. You're listening to the Planet Earth podcast. For the past four years at this time of year, a group of scientists from around the world has put together a list of top global conservation issues. Published in the journal Trends in Ecology and Evolution, the project highlights new technologies that could have an impact on the Earth's biodiversity. This year, the topics range from concentrated solar power to 3D printing and even drone aircraft. Richard Hollingham has been chatting to the leader of the research team, William Sutherland, Professor of Conservation Biology at the University of Cambridge. We have a team of experts, people that know about specific areas, people that come from uh, large conservation organisations or large environmental organisations, and they all searched the literature, spoke to their colleagues, and then produced this long list. And then we have an elaborate process of voting and scoring to come down with our final list. Now, you look at this final list, the 15 issues that, that could affect biodiversity in, well, the next year, but it would be the coming years, really. One thing that stands out here is energy. You've got solar power, oil drilling, hydroelectric power, nuclear power on there. Exactly, and it's obviously one of the major concerns, and obviously we, we need to find new sources of energy, and also with all the concern over climate change, we want to find ways in which we can generate energy that have less impact on the planet. And these aren't necessarily new technologies, but new ways of getting energy. Yes, partly. So we talk about the fact you can now extract oil from the seabed by having all the plant on the seabed itself, rather than the traditional way of having it on the surface. And that means that you can exploit areas that you couldn't exploit previously, such as, for example, under the ice in the Arctic. And that obviously means that we can produce more oil, but has various environmental concerns that we need to think about. They're not all negatives. This isn't a, a big whinge necessarily by the conservation movement saying these are all the things we have to worry about. There are a few positives on here. Almost all issues have a positive side and a negative side. What we're trying to do is say what are the changes that are likely to happen and then we can then say what are the consequences likely to be. And many of them are actually good news. You know, new ways of detecting species, for example, it's, a, it's positive news. Let's talk about that then. New way of detecting species. This is using DNA. How, how does it work? When species live in water, they shed DNA into the water. And with new techniques, we can actually detect very low concentrations of DNA. 
So instead of having to find a very rare species or an invasive species that you're worried about, instead of having to put on your Wellington boots or your wetsuit and go and find it, you can actually just take a water sample and then see if you can then find the DNA. And it's a much more effective way of detecting various species. Another technology you highlight, which is, I mean, on the face of it, a wonder technology, 3D printing, being able to put the dimensions of something into a machine and actually to, to make one. It's like a, a Star Trek replicator. Uh, positives and negatives again with that. And it's clearly a very exciting technology, and it means then if you want to buy something, you might be able to make it immediately. Perhaps you can make it in your office, or perhaps if it's something more substantial, you might go down to the high street and have it made for you. But it means that there'll be reduced shipping costs, and you can get things immediately. You can get it in the way you want it. But it may well have other sort of costs too. It's likely to shift where products are made. It might mean that instead of products being made in places like China, they're being made in your back bedroom. You know, what would the consequences of that be? You know, what are the social and economic consequences and the pollutant problems of generating these products going to be? Can you answer any of those questions, or is that the point of the exercise, to raise these questions? Our point is to raise the questions and say, we haven't really thought enough about these, and we just want the community to think more about these sorts of issues, so that as they start to happen, we have the science in place, so we can know what we should be worried about, and what actually turns out not to be a particular worry. Another intriguing item on, on your list of 15 conservation issues is this one, uh, forest conservation and restoration by micro-unmanned aerial vehicles, essentially using drones, drones developed for the military. Uh, absolutely, and the, the military take this very seriously, as we all know. I've heard that the American Air Force have as many unmanned vehicles as they have manned vehicles, and they have lots of advantages they can go into areas that are unsafe otherwise. And it's now realised they have all sorts of exciting potentials for environmental sampling, such as going and sampling forests. Google has just invested five millions in this method for looking at illegal hunting. There's a whole range of different techniques, including the planting of forests. And it's likely that you can actually go and plant forests in areas that are very difficult to access, and that technology is developing. So I think we're going to hear a lot more about drones in conservation in the near future. You've got these 15 issues. The, the paper that you've published runs to, what, seven pages. It's more than a list. You talk about the, the various issues, but you're mainly raising questions. What is the point of this? Because there have been various issues in the past, such as biofuels, where there's been the policy initiative has taken place and we haven't seen that coming up and we haven't had the science in place, which we should have done. And we want to try to avoid that sort of problem again. We want to identify changes that are likely to happen and encourage the research community to think about those so that when decisions are being made, there's actually a good body of information so we know what are the real concerns and what are the things that actually we might think are concerns but actually turn out not to be important. Does anyone take any notice? Uh, they seem to do. So we know that people have done research projects as a result of this. We know that the research councils take note of this. We know that a lot of people have taken a lot of interest in this. And the various conservation bodies and other bodies routinely look through this material. So it seems to be having quite a big impact. Professor William Sutherland.
That's it for today's Planet Earth podcast, brought to you by the Natural Environment Research Council. And you can see some photos of the whitened woods and the bird catching on our Facebook page. I'm Sue Nelson. Thanks for listening.